Greetings and welcome to an episode I'm calling Jonah and Leviathan. I was going back through and looking at what's considered the minor prophets. There's so much going on. There's so many people that are declaring themselves to be prophets. There's so many people that are having dreams and visions. And there's so much doctrine around what the end times might look like. I thought it'd be worth going back and looking at what's called the minor prophets. I don't think they're minor. <laughs> the part that's pretty interesting to me is they seem to be almost forgotten books of the Bible, yet they all point to the day of the Lord, the end times, the time that we are, a lot of us at least, are feeling that we are in. And for some reason, these just get passed by, yet they seem to pretty clearly describe what this is going to look like and what is required to be saved from the day of the Lord. I'm not saying these people that are having the dreams or calling themselves prophets, I'd, each individual one has to be decided upon by their own merit. So I'm not going to be calling out against them. I just want to make sure that people are very careful when they hear these things and that they go back and look at what does Jesus tell us? What did the prophets tell us this time will look like? And if somebody is sharing something from either a prophecy or a dream that doesn't line up, then you can make the determination on your own what you should do with that. But as I was going through this, I had it in my mind. I needed to go back through these. So I did. Yesterday, once I started reading, I couldn't stop. So I ended up going through Joel, part of Hosea, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggard, Zechariah, and Malachi. They all fit together very nicely. Once I got going, I couldn't set it down. But I want to start and go through and take a real close look at the book of Jonah. There's something so much more in that book. It's only four chapters, and most of these are quite short, so they're easy to get through. So I highly encourage you to go back and go through these for yourself. But there's something that really stood out that was much different than the Sunday school narrative that so many of us have been taught. That a guy was thrown out of a boat and he was swallowed by a whale. And that's pretty much the extent of it. Yeah, now he went to Nineveh and all that kind of stuff, but the story of what happened there is much more significant. And the reason why I think it's worth really taking a look at is because it also lines up, and Jesus pointed to it very specifically. And he was pointing at the sign of Jonah. Now, some people have used that in looking at this three days of darkness they think are coming, which there's merit to that when you look at what is being, being said here. But I think it's worth looking at the whole context of that. Jesus said, I'll just read it from Matthew 12, verses 38 through 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, now think about that, I just want to pause there for a second. He refers to it in the belly of the great fish. doesn't just say a great fish or a whale. He says, of the great fish. Hold on to that. So will be, or so the son, excuse me, 
so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation, condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So there's a couple of things to take note there first. One, he's saying, this is the only sign you're going to be given. And it looks like there's more than just the three days and three nights in the heart of a fish or in the heart of the earth. There's a repentance that comes with this. But there's also something more that we might need to take a look at. Now let's go ahead and jump to the book of Jonah. Now again, in going through this, I think it's very important to understand the meaning of names and the meaning of places. So right, in the, right off the bat, there's going to be a couple of names and places that are mentioned. So I'm going to pause and go through those as we read it, and then I'll start back over so it's a little bit smoother. But just in the beginning, Jonah uh, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so first he's being rebellious. He's trying to hide. But look how this plays out. So first the name we want to look at is Jonah. Now, I looked at the Strong's Concordance to see what it said, and then also look at the etymology of it. Now, Jonah, from the Strong's Concordance, it says an uh, Israelite prophet. That's what Jonah was. He was an Israelite prophet. But in the etymology, what is the meaning of Jonah? What is the meaning of Jonah? It's dove. So I'm going to pause right there first. When you look at, when you just talked about Matthew 12, there's going to be a sign of Jonah. Now, oh, I lost my spot. If we go to Matthew chapter 3, there's something else that's worth noting that's a very similar thing. In chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Now, this is right after Jesus went to John the Baptist to be baptized, and John the Baptist said, No, you're supposed to be baptizing me, and Jesus said, No. I'll just start here in chapter 15, or in verse 15. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now if you think of something that... When Jesus said, no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah, for he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. But there's also something that's worth being noted. When Jesus was baptized and he came out, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. What does the name Jonah mean? Dove. 
there might be more to the sign than what people are thinking. Might be a dove. Now, there's a few other names and cities there. There's Amittai, which is Jonah's father, which means true. So it's from the truth is Jonah, the dove. The prophet is coming from the truth. Jesus is coming from the Father. He's coming from the truth. A lot of parallels. Now, Nineveh is where he is commanded to go to. In the Strong's, it means capital of Assyr, A-S-S-Y-E-R. But in its etymology, it appears from cuneiform, it means to denote, or it seems to denote a house of fish, which is interesting in the context. We just read through that Jonah was swallowed by the great fish, and he is sent to the house of fish, or Nineveh, the capital of Assyr. The other place worth looking at is Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is a son of Javan, uh, his descendants and their land, part of the Mediterranean, or it's a port in the, of the Mediterranean, also a Benjamite, also a noble person. This is in the etymology as well as Strong's. But if, from a more of an etymology standpoint, it's, it also means the same thing, but it's his excellency, breaking, subjugation, white dove. Interesting. Again, we see the dove. So the dove is being sent to the house of fish, but he's trying to avoid it. He's trying to run to Tarshish, and the place that he goes to to try and get on a boat is called Joppa. It's a seaport of the city of Pal. I didn't look up Pal, but Joppa means, from its etymology, beautiful. So he's trying to, <laughs> he's trying to run to the beautiful dove in avoiding his journey to the house of fish. That's kind of like what the meaning of the words are saying. But I'll start over. Now that we have a, an understanding of what the words are and the places are, or the names, what they mean, and the places, what they mean, it helps put the context, what is also being said here. I'll start over. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a, a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the, the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they, wrote, or, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what, are your peop and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. 
Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, what the, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. Then he, er, he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, and I know, or for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous, tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now here's the other part that gets interesting. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jesus referred to it as the great fish. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We got that so far, right? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, Now notice there's a shift here. So he's in the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now if you know what Sheol is, Sheol is the place of the dead. Some would refer to it as hell. Now listen how he describes the rest of this experience. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon the whole, your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and the roots of mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke, and the fish spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. It sounds like, in how he explains that, how he describes what it's like being in the belly of the great fish, is that he's in hell. And from being in hell, he calls out to the Lord, and he is saved. It's almost parallel to like what Jesus says he did three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, into the pit, into a dark place. I don't know for sure, but it sure seems to be pretty interesting parallel to the stories of what happens there. Now I want to also point out something about this great fish. Who might he be referring to as the fish? What Jesus referred to of the belly of the great fish. We might have an example of this in Job chapter 41. It's referring to Leviathan. Now Leviathan means, from the Strong's, serpent, a sea monster, or dragon. Think of the reference. 
First, I'm going to go to Isaiah 27, verse 1. In the day of the Lord, with his hand and great with his hand and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Where is that fish? That dragon? Leviathan? In the sea. Now let's go to Job forty one. What is it? Job forty one just walks through who is Leviathan. Now again, this is This is God challenging Job. But he says, Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you or take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as a bird or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with flashing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs, or his mighty strength, or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? Around around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely with with a seal. One is so near to another that air cannot come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength, and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as stone, hard as a lower millstone. Now think about where this is. He's in the pit, in the lower parts of the sea, and Jesus often refers to pointing out to people, It would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and thrown into the sea, probably to go meet Leviathan. See the connection? Maybe. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. At the crashing, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee, For him sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth there is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high, 
He is king over all the sons of pride. Who do you think the sons of pride are that he would be the father of? Think about what is being said there. I won't go into too much of my own ideas, but I think there's plenty meat on the bone for you to consider as we're talking about the end. Well, let's just finish up with what happens with Jonah's journey to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, that great city, and call out against it, the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and in ashes, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation to be pub- and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent the t- and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned their from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that the might that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should and should should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. 
it's kind of where it ends. It seems to almost end in the middle of a thought there. But the point is, there's a lot more to Jonah, to the great fish, to the sign of Jonah, and what can be learned from the people of Nineveh. They repented. Even from the king down, the king even declared a decree and saying that everybody needed to humble themselves, put on sackcloth, as the king even sat in ashes. And in doing so, God relented from his wrath, his judgment. That's what we are called to do. And in, in the declaration, Jonah went to the city and declared it would be destroyed. And God said, why would I not have pity on them? They turned from their wicked ways. <laughs> kind of put Jonah back in his place. But with all of this and seeing what is happening and what we're expected to do, there's so much more to the text. That's why I think it's important for people to read for themselves. And look at what the meanings of the names of the people are because it tells a story. Look at the names of the places that are mentioned because it tells a story. It enriches things and it's not just a simple children's story from Sunday school where a guy gets swallowed by a whale. This is way more significant and there's a reason that Jesus pointed to this sign. He re refers to the three days and three nights, how Jonah was in the belly of that great fish as Jesus for three days and three nights will be going to the heart of the earth. Were they different things? I don't know, it's something to consider. What happened when they both went to these places? It looks like people were given the opportunity to repent. Now in the story of Jonah, it was preparing as he went to Nineveh. There was like something that might have happened when he was in Sheol. That then when he went to Nineveh, instantly at the declarations he made, the people repented, even the king. In Sheol, did Jonah make a declaration that these people would be freed? I have complete speculation. Just I'm not trying to add anything to the text, but there seems to be something more that happened. Also, like when Jesus went three days and three nights into the heart of the earth, when he rose, others rose with him. Remember in the story, other people walked around. They came into the city, those that rose from the graves at the same time that Jesus did. There was like a rescuing. Jesus, even his name means rescuer. It's like the parallel, it's Jonah was the preceding for the true king going into the heart of the earth and rescuing. There's a lot more to the story. There's a lot more to what we will see at the end, and so much of this is laid out in what's considered these minor prophets, but there's way more to the story. It's not as complicated as people have made it because they get into this eschatology stuff. I did it myself. I went for years trying to figure out how does revelations unfold. But if you look at all of the what's considered the minor prophets, or if you look through Ezekiel or Isaiah or Daniel, it's just a, 
it's a little bit more clear, especially going through these the shorter books. Like if you go through Joel, if you go through Amos, you look through and what they talk about the day of the Lord that's coming, it seems to clarify things. It actually gave me a lot of peace reading through it because I wasn't trying to figure out the seven bowls, the seven vials, the seven trumps, the the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff. And I've, I've mentioned that before, like with the jab. I think the jab is definitely, it's even expressed and admittedly part of their depopulation plan. Is it the mark of the beast? I don't know because nowhere else does do we have any information about what this mark of the beast would be. It doesn't give a lot more clarity to it. So I don't have, at least from my perspective, I don't have more to say anything about that other than pay real close attention to what's being said about all of it. Everybody will have to make up their own minds. But I hope you're at least encouraged to go back and look through some of these books. Do a little bit deeper study. Read through and see how it connects to what Jesus taught because it does very clearly. Because he even refers back to it. Godspeed.